0: Good morning, Chair City Community Church. How are you today? Yeah, yeah, sure. Christy's up. You're chatty. You're going. Come on. Give me. Give, give, lift me up here. Come on. All right. Well, listen, for our guests, I'm Dave. I'm the pastor here at Chair City Community Church. Glad you joined us today. I'm in the dark. That's okay, Christy, you know. Christy had somebody. I can do it, you know. They, just, they do that because I'm always wandering, so maybe they figure, I don't know what they're figuring. Okay, all right. Red, white, blue, I'm good, I'm good. That's all right. (laughs) Disco disco pastor, right? (laughs) Okay. So look, a husband and a wife had a kind of a tiff, a a little argument. The wife called her mom and said, he fought with me, he wasn't nice to me. I'm going to come and live with you. The mom said, no, darling, he must pay for his mistake. I'm coming to live with you. Huh? (laughs) A, A man and his wife they're, not, they're having some problems there at home, and they decided to give each other the silent treatment, huh? Ever go that road? Suddenly the man realized the next day he would need his wife to wake him up at 5 o'clock in the morning for an early morning business flight. Not wanting to be the first to break the silence and lose, he wrote on a piece of paper, please wake me up at 5 o'clock a.m., and he left it where he knew his wife would see it. The next morning woke, the man woke up, Only discover it's nine o'clock in the morning and he had missed a flight, furious. He's about to go see why his wife did not wake him up when he noticed a piece of paper by the bed. The paper said, It's 5 o'clock a.m. Wake up. (laughs) They can be trick, they can be like, you know, tricky like that, can't they, huh? So, in case you haven't figured it out, our theme today is conflict. You know, some people have it all together, right? But in real relationships, friendships, Marriage relationships, family relationships, there's disappointment, there's unmet expectations, there's stress over money, there's arguments, there is conflict, huh? Fortunately, God has got some real advice, right, good advice for real problems that real people face in real relationships, and that's what we're doing in this series, and we're just turning to the Bible to see what God has for us on how to navigate and deal and really be victorious in our real relationships. Today we want to talk about successfully navigating conflict, huh? Conflict because every every relationship has conflict. I don't know of a relationship, you know, that doesn't have conflict. Joy has conflict with her fish. Yes, she got the fish. Joy has conflict with her fish. You know, every relationship known to men and women there is conflict. And so today we're going to look to the Bible, to God's Word, to Scriptures, and we're we're going to call it God's Guide to Conflict Management, right? Because God knows us and He wants us to be able, to be equipped to deal with conflict in a way that glorifies Him and brings us peace and harmony in our relationships. Now, the first step that God gives us to managing conflict is to take preventative measures. Now, the most successful way to deal with conflict is to avoid it, Or minimize it. Really hard to avoid it, but to minimize it, right? Meaning, look, we're not going to, it's not realistic to think that we're going to completely eliminate conflict from our lives. And I often say, and I've said it before up here, that my um, observation is that not that we want conflict in relationships, but if you can successfully navigate conflict in your relationships, it's going to lead to great growth. So myself and my wife, we have grown the most when we have successfully, Sometimes painstakingly navigated conflict and come to understand one another better. I think James Dobson says the same thing. Take his word, not mine, okay? Now, so, but we can turn around and create certain atmospheres and certain conditions to minimize the growth of conflict, and sometimes avoid it, and occasionally, just for a season, maybe even eliminate it. So that's what we wanna do. We wanna create an environment in our homes, in our relationships that's not conducive for conflict to grow. The first thing we can do is spend time together, huh? In a marriage, the top priority isn't transporting the kids to 50,000 activities. It's like sarcasm, huh? It's not making sure we're catching all the TV shows. It's not keeping the house perfectly clean. It's not turning around and getting the disgadget. gadget. It's not keeping the grass perfectly mowed or making sure everything's fixed the way we want it. The top priority in marriage is to spend time together Right in any relationship, to the extent that you can spend time together and have intimacy, being honest with God, honest with one another, feeling good to be around each other. Right, I'm around somebody who I can trust, who I know, who I can confide in, who I can be myself with. Right, that's that's the beginning of intimacy. That all happens by spending time together. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verse 5 through 6, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. So when Jesus is telling us the branches, that if we don't remain in him and he is divine, meaning if we don't spend time with him, if we don't nurture our relationship with him, then we that relationship will wither away and die. The same is true for our friendships. The same is true for the relationship with our children, and the same is true for relationships with our spouses. We can get so busy trying to be productive, focused on different activities that we do feel are are so important, and and, and there is a significance to these different activities, but to the extent that we are no longer spending time together, this is detrimental to our marriage. This is not going to create an environment that's going to minimize conflict, right? So we've got to, we, you know, when this happens, a, a stage is set and an atmosphere is created where conflict will grow and not be minimized. Next, heap praise and encouragement on one another. Conflict increases as praise and encouragement decreases. Did you get that? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Encourage one another and build each other up. Everybody likes being praised and encouraged. Every positive word, and encouraged word you speak, is the equivalent of putting down weed be gone, right? Every year I'm going to say, I'm going to to get out there and march and put down the weed be gone, and I never do it, right? And then Lloyd's out there, Diane's out there yanking up weeds and snarling, and eventually I'll just argue with each other so they forget about me anyway. Acts chapter, I mean, really, you, you want to... When you say a kind word, when you when you say a complimentary word, when you encourage one another, you you could literally be nipping conflict at its most smallest root and a bitter root. Consider that. To speak words of praise and encouragement to one another. Now, next thing, next thing is to say thank you. Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 19. Jesus is going into a village These 10 men, they've got leprosy. It's a disease that eats away your flesh, right? Yuck, okay. They call out to Jesus in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. So Jesus goes through this process of sending them to the priest because in the Old Testament, Mosaic law, you had to go before the religious leaders so they would confirm you were blind and you were deaf or you had leprosy. But on the way there, they're all cleansed of their leprosy. To God be the glory. But of the 10 Of the ten, only one returns to Jesus to say thank you. And when they do, only one comes back to express their gratitude. And Jesus says this in verse 18, where is everybody else? Mm. And I think there's a principle here that Jesus is teaching us, and that is unspoken gratitude is ingratitude. Mm. I'm pretty confident that all ten lepers were grateful. I mean, if my flesh was, was falling off my bones, I'd be pretty grateful to be healed, right? But Jesus counted their unspoken gratitude as ingratitude. I got a call uh, f- Friday from a woman in a, who, who, that we support, she's in a drug recovery center, and um, she said, I'm just calling you to let you know that earlier today I had this moment where I had this sense of gratitude like I've never had in my life, meaning I, I think for the first time I really understood what it means to be grateful and thankful, <laughs> you know, outside myself, just looking, and, and I wanted to do something. I mean, I, I don't think there's not much I could do right now. I'm here. I don't have anything, but I could, I could call, and I wanted to call you, and I wanted to say thank you to the church for enabling me to be here. Thank you for the church for sacrificing and caring that I could have this opportunity to change my life. And so she extends her thanksgiving to you. Thank you to you and my pastor, and thank you to Christy and your family. And she just was pouring out words of thanksgiving, huh? Wow, how powerful is that? And I just paused, and I I just told her, listen, man, you have struck gold. You have struck gold. This is my secret right here. I fuel, my faith is often fueled by thanksgiving, huh? Because when you're hard to be angry. It's hard to remain in unhealthy conflict when you're thankful, right? It's hard to be down and depressed when you're dwelling in thanksgiving, huh? That's why the scripture tells us that God says to be thankful in all things, in all circumstances, Paul says. And you can do that because when you're thanking God, you're acknowledging God. And once you do that, that, that opens up the floodgates to hope and to possibilities, huh? And you now just see things in such a more healthier, more realistic perspective and a godly perspective. So I congratulated her and I told her to hold on to that attitude of gratitude, yes? Now, that's good. It is good. It's so good. Now, I want to ask you a question. Does the Bible call us to only feel gratitude or does it instruct us to also express gratitude? There's a difference, right? Right? Psalm 118, verse 21 says, I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Praise you, God. Thank you, God. You have saved me from damnation. You have saved me from being lost. You have saved me from hollowness and shallowness and a lack of peace. And you have made a way for me to be with you in eternity. You have saved me, huh? And I will give you thanks. So in the example I just gave you with a woman in the drug recovery center, She didn't just feel thanks, she did earlier in the day, but now she gave thanks, right? And what this verse shows in Psalm 118 is that the Bible is teaching us not only to be thankful, to feel thankful, but the Bible is teaching us to give, right? To give thanks. Feeling gratitude is not enough. If you're going to create an atmosphere where conflict cannot grow, You've got to give thanks. You just can't feel thanks. And even in my relationship with God, I will feel thanks, but then I will give thanks. I will verbally say thank you. I will turn around and do something in my life that day many times you've remind me as a pastor, "Pastor, why did you do that?" I'm just so thankful to God. How could I not do that? Right? It's how, how could I not feel? How could I not ask for forgiveness? How could I not give to that? How can we not be there? How can we not take that? I'm so thankful to God. I'm acknowledging God and what he's done in my life. And how could I not respond in this godly, courageous, kind, caring, gentle, humble, sacrificial way? Yes. Thanksgiving. OK, so don't just feel thanksgiving and gratitude in your relationships. Give it. Give it and express it. All right, next, don't sweat the small stuff. Whoa, Proverbs chapter 19, 11 says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. We want to minimize, we want to really uh, debilitate the atmosphere for conflict to grow in our marriage. Don't sweat the small stuff. What offenses what, what offenses do we overlook? The small ones, right? You gotta let the small stuff go. You gotta give each other room. Otherwise, you'll be fighting all the time. Now listen, I'm not talking about ignoring conflict. I'm talking about trying to avoid it, right? <coughs> we don't want we, we, we to avoid conflict, but if we can turn around and say, you know what, okay, you know what, that, that's really not a big deal, or that's really incidental, or we, we, we can just give people, let it go, you know, just just let it go. I got ahead of myself. Don't go there. Listen, <laughs> we have this thing, just, when don't sweat the small stuff. You can move on without drilling down, without getting into it, without, you know, as the great theologian Elsa from Arendelle would tell you, All right. They've banned me from singing that. So if you're here, I used to sing it myself, but I'm not allowed to anymore. Look, when you don't do these things, when you don't let it go, you stop giving one another the benefit of the doubt, huh? You assume the worst. You think that the reason why they're doing that is to disrespect you, to get at you, huh? to, to not acknowledge you, right? You think they did it purposely just to upset you, like they, they've got nothing better to do with their life but just upset you. They got up and said, how can I turn around and leave this here just to get them going, huh? But that's what happens when we're sweating the small stuff. So, look. And you start reading negatively into one another. And all that creates this cycle of conflict growing and growing and growing. And now everything becomes big, right? And it's not what we want in our relationship. It's not what God has for us in our relationships. You know, so those same comments that he or she used to make that were funny, now are actually pretty offensive, right? <laughs> and the same habits that they had when you, that you used to think was so cute, now they're annoying, right? Be- why? Well, because you've lost that conflict buffer, You see, you know, in the beginning of the relationship, what did you do? You spent time together, right? In the beginning of the relationship, you would praise and encourage one another, right? In the beginning of any relationship, you would turn around and give thanks all the time, right? In the beginning of the relationship, you didn't sweat the small stuff. Man, you didn't sweat anything, not even the big stuff, right? <coughs> you did all these things we just talked about to minimize conflict. That's what you did. But somehow we get distracted, we get deterred and we fuck out it. but we want, to, we want to bring that into our relationships, right? We want to do that now. So also, these things help foster these four things help foster an, an atmosphere of good communication and understanding of one another. Now look, I think men and women both do this, but men, ha- I think, do it more than women. Where as men, we try and fix our wives or we we perceive there's a problem they're having rather than trying to understand them, we will try to fix it, huh? It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and... I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there- Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing- You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out- See, you're out- not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on! If you would just... Don't! So guys, I know it's hard, but look, man, just don't fix it, okay? (laughs) Look, it's just good to know what to do when you're in a fight, but it's better just not to get into the fight in the first place, right? Doing these Preventative measures will minimize the conflict. All right, let's move on to the next thing that God teaches us about resolving, managing conflict in our relationships. All right, here we go. Run to conflict. Whoa. Uh, I'm going to say it again. Put the filters down. Run to conflict. As much as you try and minimize conflict, it's going to be there. You're not going to be able to prevent it completely. And when you realize that there's a, a tension or an angst, or, 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 or an agitation with your spouse, or a friend. you want to, God tells us to run to conflict. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So what Jesus is teaching is that when we are in conflict with someone, there's nothing more important than going to them as soon as possible to resolve the conflict. So why is it important to resolve conflict so quickly? Well, you know, the more you run away from it, the more you ignore it, the more it grows, the worse it gets. We've just seen this. The longer you wait to talk to somebody, the more the way they feel is solidified, the more they're used to thinking that way. The more you are not communicating, therefore misunderstanding each other, and the worse it gets, the harder it is to resolve. So run to conflict. Many people don't run to conflict. They, they tell themselves, well, you know, I'm just trying to keep the peace and keep things calm. I don't want issues. Listen, said gently, it's a cop-out. It really is. You're just, you're just trying to do something you know needs to be done, but you don't want to do it. And sometimes we, we think the worst. Yesterday we celebrated my daughter's 10th birthday. My little Joy is 10 years old. And my wife had this emoji theme going on, right? And, you know, and I thought I, was, I thought it was cool, you know? I mean, I, I'm not into the whole emoji thing, but I, I thought it was cool. I, I was following it until I saw a pile of poop on my table. And, you know, and see, I'm thinking, you know, 10th birthday, Spider-Man, Cinderella, you know, all these cool themes. But, you know, a pile of poop, it just never enters into my mind, you know? And if... If a pile of poop could smile, I don't think it would smile. <laughs> so times, I looked at it and I just said, times have certainly changed. You know, like there's got to be something inappropriate about a pile of poop on my table, <laughs> even to communicate with a pile. As a pile, I don't know. You get it, okay? So, look. Well, as a fun activity, the girls all made these emoji pillows. You know, they had to cut out this material and they kind of, you know, somehow. You know, got the sides to stick together and they stuffed it with cotton like material. Well, what I noticed, I think, was kind of to uh, kind of accentuate the uh, emotion on the emoji, the, the expression. They would, some would stuff it a lot and guess what? It, it would start to come out. It, it just, the pillow can only hold so much. Listen up. You are not robots. You are living and active human beings that God created, and you have, an, a, you have a limited emotional capacity. You can only hold so much. And when you don't run to conflict, you are stuffing it down inside. And just like that balloon, you know, that goes and goes and goes, and just the slightest prick, or if you fill a cup up to the very top, you know, and, and, and if you're just standing there, not moving, you got it. But if you move a little bit, it, it just overflows, it comes out. And that's how it is when we turn around and we don't run to the conflict and we stuff it down inside, we think we got it and then that, and then when ha- life happens, a conflict comes in, probably that same conflict that we so, you know, put to the side to keep the peace. And, but it comes back in the simplest, smallest, slightest way and boom! We can't take it, right? We go. And we act in an exaggerated way, an overreactive way, A distorted way we misrepresent ourselves, and then when we do that, we even more, we get even angrier, or we get this more confusion and misunderstanding and more conflict. So don't put it off. Go to conflict. And why? Because you know now that I've told you that putting it off isn't the best thing, and that it's gonna come out sooner than later. And sooner is better than later, right? And because God says that it is good to go to the conflict. Now I want to give you somewhat of a tempered uh, statement here. It's very helpful. It's what we would call a balancing statement. Run to the conflict does not mean force resolution, right? So all our extroverts said, "Oh shoot," and all our introverts said, "Oh thank God." Right? Don't run to conflict isn't saying to force resolution. In real relationships, the objective of conflict resolution is to understand. Have you ever heard the advice begin with the end in mind? It's good advice. What it's saying is if you begin with the end in mind, ultimately you'll choose the right path to get to, get to where you want to go. We have a saying that it's your direction, not your intention, that determines your destination. Too often people have this image, these pictures of, in their mind about what they want life to be, what their destination should be with marriage, relationships, all this. But the direction they're going in doesn't match the destination they want, right? And that's because. It's not your intention that determines your destination. It's your direction, right? So we want to turn around and begin with the end in mind. And so in the same way, if you're understanding the objective of conflict resolution is not to get what you want to, is not to be right, then you're going to take the wrong path. Oh, I see. The objective of conflict resolution is to turn around and be right. No. The objective is to understand one another, right? Right? too many because if you go the other way to force resolution one person usually the one who's on the more passive side is going to feel like I'm being attacked and then their objective now is to attack back right too many people then people are starting to think I'm being accused and then their objective is a safe face to defend themselves and then it goes into a prideful place right i'm going to be prideful my pride is getting hurt so i'm going to i'm going to go back i'm going to react from that place And then many people think, okay, this is simply me against them, right? My objective is to win. When it comes to relationships, to win is to lose. You might think I won the battle. The truth is winning a battle really means losing the war. In relationships, you always lose when you win an argument. In godly relationships, you will always lose when you win an argument. Now, some people are married to a person who always has to win an argument, or must always prove themselves right, meaning you've got to just agree with their view. We have one of those in my marriage, and it's very, very difficult to deal with, okay? (laughs) So, God help my dear wife, for our guests. (laughs) Those of us who know me know where I'm going with that. The objective isn't to attack. The objective isn't to save face. The objective isn't to win. The objective of conflict resolution is to understand. This will change your life. This will bring so much more health to your relationships. To understand what your spouse is thinking, what they're feeling. And the only way to do that is to listen. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. I want to turn to the, per- turn to the person next to you. And say, be quick to listen and slow to speak. It's good. (laughs) I I meant for husbands and wives to turn to each other and and say that. Some of you actually went the other way. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know what to say about that. So listen, we're so bad at listening, which is one of the reasons why we fight so much. Listen to this stat. Studies show that the average person listens for only 17 seconds before interrupting, interrupting to give their own opinion. Now, my wife right now is probably laughing. She's thinking 17 seconds in my marriage, it's 1.7 seconds, right? <laughs> so, what's wrong with this? Well, when we respond too quickly, we often respond to the wrong issue, which results in further uh, uh, complicating the conflict resolution process, meaning we create more conflict than was originally there. Don't make the mistake of spending energy on the wrong objective. In real relationships, when it comes to conflict, the first and primary objective should, that should be pursued is to understand what the other person is thinking and feeling. If you don't understand that this is the objective, before you even begin to talk, then you will use the wrong words, you will ask the wrong question, understand where the other person is coming from, and you'll likely wind up defending or attacking. Listen, listening leads to understanding, understanding leads to resolution, and resolution leads to peace and harmony in relationships. So you want to begin with the end in mind by understanding the objective of conflict resolution, and it is to understand. Now, so that's a good beginning, But you might want to follow the other rules that the Bible gives us when it comes to, I call them these rules of conflict, you know. I'm sorry, these rules of engagement in dealing with conflict and relationships that the Bible gives us. One is take turns sharing without interrupting. One poor husband said, I haven't spoken to my wife in 18 months. I don't like to interrupt her. (laughs) Isn't it true that sometimes We dominate the conversation without giving the other person a chance to truly speak. We don't want to be guilty of that because Proverbs 18.2, chapter 18, verse 2, says, Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Ah, it's tough. The Bible says it's foolish not to hear the other person out. If you just keep interrupting and giving your opinion and your thoughts, it's foolish. Why? Because if you're not listening, you're just moving closer. You're not moving closer to understanding the other person, which is what God calls us to. It's good to have that habit of asking the other person, are you done? Before you ta- start talking. And if you're knighting, we're not talking about, are you done? You know, we're, we're talking like a senior, like, you, are you done? Right? All right, rule number two, you know, rules of engagement. We will keep the face kind, the tone calm, and the volume down, huh? Colossians chapter four, verse six says, "Let your conversation be gracious and attractive." <laughs> you know, when you're yelling, when you've got that look on your face, it's kind of distorted, huh? When that tone doesn't sound right, man, that is not gracious and that is not attractive, right? And it's going to just move you farther away from resolution. Raising your voice is just one way of or the face; it's just ways of venting anger. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9, chapter 29, verse 11, Fool, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. All right, next rule of engagement apologize and forgive. The words, I'm sorry, don't often roll off the tongue of some people's lips, let alone please forgive me. For what reasons, I don't know, and I'm not being condescending. I'm actually kind of sympathetic to it because I see it causes so much pain in people's lives. It, 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 the ability not to ask forgiveness is such a hindrance to people seeing God glorifying people's life. It, it, it Actually, by them not being able to say, please forgive me, it's like them taking the mess, whether they created it or somebody else, and just carrying it with them. Really, talk about a monkey on her back saying, you know what, I'd rather than ask forgiveness, I'm just going to turn around and make believe nothing's going on when it really is going on, right? You know, I mean, I can't. I'm, I'm just going to carry this. I'm just going to keep carrying this along rather than just forgiveness equals freedom. Do you got me? Forgiveness equals freedom. So I'm all over the place here. Look, this is said because some of these th- these expressions. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Are conflict resolution prerequisites? You're going to have a hard time truly in a God-glorifying way, resolving conflict, if you can't say, or you struggle to say, I'm sorry or forgive me. Listen, apology plus forgiveness equal reconciliation. That's how it works with God. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, as we say, sorry, God, as we ask God to forgive us, our broken relationship with God can be restored, right? And in the same way we say we're sorry or God forgive me, we want to bring that into our relationships with our children, our spouse, especially those that are broken. Search yourself, examine yourself. I do this often. I don't think, you know, look, I'm not going to have Satan speak into the lives of my children. I'll do the talking. When you, don't have, when you don't examine yourself and look at the, and look at your relationships that are close those with your spouse, those with your children, parents, if you don't do a good like inventory and examine that from time to time and you don't come out thinking, command there's something I think I just want to ask forgiveness for man I'm telling you Satan is doing all the talking for you. you think it's cool you think it's going on you know you, you've kind of packaged it in a good way and Satan is just pouring into the heads of your kids and your wife and all those relationships and I say shut up. I'm a kid, I'm from New York, I'm Italian, I can talk a lot louder than you can, right? And I'm going to do all the talking from my God, and it's going to start with, hey, you know what, I thought about this, I realized this, and hey, please forgive me. And it's what my kids always say, you know, and even my wife, I say, you know what, I was spending time with God, I was talking to God, and you know, in those times, you know, this came to me, and uh, something just didn't seem right, and uh, I, I just, hey, uh, forgive me, you know, forgive me if this, forgive me if that. And you know what? It's freedom, man, right? And you know, all the time I felt like I was carrying, right? It's like I just feel better. Because one, I glorified God. I trusted God. Two, I feel like I've given a gift to the, pe- the people I love. Does that make sense to you? All right, so now let's talk briefly and quickly about what an apology is not. I think there's confusion in what a real apology is and what an apology is not. So first we got what it is not. An apology without remorse. So it would be like logically, I admit you've got a point. That's not really an apology, right? Or the premature apology. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, can we just forget about the whole thing, right? Or how about the apology of expediency? All right, I'm sorry, can we just watch the game now, huh? Or how about the excuse apology? I'm sorry, but the reason I acted that way was or blah, 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 right? Or the non-responsible apology. I'm sorry this whole thing happened, right? (laughs) You know, this This doesn't actually admit any guilt or any remorse. How about the bitter apology? I'm sorry that you had to marry me. I'm sorry you have it so bad, right? How about the invasive apology, right? It, let's not be mad anymore, <laughs> right? How about the ceasefire apology? I'm willing to stop, if you will. How about the burial apology? Let's just forget the whole thing ever happened. How about the perspective apology? We have more important things to worry about. I don't know why we're, we're even giving attention to this. And how about the blame-shifting, the all-popular blame-shifting apology, I'm sorry that you're so sensitive, you can't handle this, right? Look, none of these are actual apologies. They actually just bring more conflict and confusion. You must accept responsibility for these things and say, hey, I'm sorry. Or even better, if one calls for will you forgive me? Now, that we, that's even if your part was 1% and the other person's 99%. That's hard, right? Yeah. Even, you know, Jesus says, before you take the plank out of your brother or sister's eye, remove the speck from your eye, huh? He says that in Matthew. So even if you've got a 1% contribution, even even if you think you are, which we always do feel that our contribution to the conflict is so much less significant than the other person's, right? And we want to focus there. No. The Bible tells us, God tells us, no, look to your contribution. Look, even if you think, because we always think, well, I did this because they did that, right? (laughs) No, God calls us today to glorify Him and trust in Him. huh? And how He wants us to manage conflict, look to whatever it is that you've contributed. And just say, you know what, I can make a better contribution here. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to say I'm sorry, okay? So Romans 12, chapter 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Romans 12 uh, verse 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. (laughs) Just the way, it's as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Regardless of what she's doing, what he's doing, as far as it depends on you, live in peace, live in harmony. We all know that one day we will rest in peace, right? But the good news is that you follow these things we've talked about today. In your relationships, you will get to live in peace as well. That's nice, right? Be- isn't it good to have peace and harmony with the people that you're interacting with every day? Especially the people like you're getting up and going to sleep with in the same bed. where some of you do the whole couch thing. You know, <laughs> wouldn't it be better to just sleep in the same bed and have peace and harmony with that person? Huh? Pretty good idea, right? All right. Now, so you can have peace and harmony. And it's worth your energy. And it's worth your time. And it's worth your effort. And if that's not great enough, worship team, why don't you come on up? If that's not great enough, the Bible goes one step further. Not only does God tell us in such an applicable, relative way how to resolve conflict in our relationships, the ones we have with other people, but the Bible also tells us how to resolve the conflict we have with God. Wow. You see, our sin, and we all have sin, it separates us from God. It caused us to be even to the point of becoming God's enemy, meaning we are not for him, we are against him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Fortunately for us, thankful that God sent Jesus to deal with this problem that sin has created in our lives. See, that's why we we can't just bury this sin word. That's why we can't, like, uh, because without understanding... The devastation of sin, without understanding what sin really is, without understanding that it exists in us, we'll never really know thanksgiving. Because <laughs> we'll never understand how incredible it was that what Jesus did, and that while we were still sinning, God demonstrated his love for us, and that Christ died for us. So we, we, we want to be able to have the courage and the fortitude and the calmness to say, okay, there is sin in our lives. But because what Jesus did by giving his life on the cross we no longer have to be a slave to that sin. We no longer have to be governed by that sin. We no longer have to be separated from God or be an enemy to God by the way we're living, talking, and thinking, that God has made a way through the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross by the giving of his life. And that this morning, if you are apart from God and you will sit here and within yourself, ponder the greatness of God, the presence of God, that in his love and his mercy, you're hearing these words that I'm sharing with you, although imperfectly sharing these words with you, that God loves you. He gave his son Jesus that you might be in a position of hearing what I'm telling you and that you would be in a position to be right with him, that right now, what do I mean by position? That right now you could turn to God within yourself and you could say, God, my Father in heaven, forgive me. Forgive me for thinking those ways, forgive me for living those ways, for, forgiving, for, for being apart from you, I want to know you. I want to fix my broken relationship with you this morning. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you do that, you've reconciled with God. You've removed this terrible conflict between you and God. You've now opened up your entire world to see it differently. I always say the greatest value my salvation has, apart from eternity, is that I see the world differently. I filter things that happen around me differently. It's so incredible to me. The way I once thought, the way I once reacted, the way I once interpreted things, the things I desired are so differently because I mended my broken relationship with God and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So my prayer my hope is that you would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.